Well, it is truly the day after Christmas, and as the, the famous phrase says, there is an elephant in the room, and not literally, but uh, since we are studying the, the topic of contentment, there are some questions I can't ignore and I have to ask you. And the first question is, how satisfied were you with your Christmas presents? How satisfied were you? Good. That's good. Did you receive everything that you wanted? Did you want more presents, right, as we're talking about the topic of contentment? Okay, now that those questions are out of the way, but more in a, in a, in a serious personal level, how, how content are you with the situation that God has you living in today? Are you satisfied with your job, your car, your spouse, your bank account, your church, your clothes, ministry, spiritual gifts, right? Or are you discontent? Are you just discontent in Christ this morning? Well, Dr. Dale Johnson, the executive director of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, or ACBC as we know them, says this about why Christians are not content. Here's what he says, and if we think about this, obviously this is a struggle that we all have, especially in a first world country like the United States of America, where we feel entitled about several things. When something doesn't go our way, we start to get very discontented. One of the things that Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, is to do everything without grumbling or complaining. That's right. This disposition is easy to recognize in part because we're all quite experienced at it, and I'm probably the first one in line when it comes to being discontent. But when you think about grumbling and complaining, he says, this would be the quiet murmurs that we have, or the secret disposition of displeasure, and how true that is. You know, many people today try to find contentment in all the wrong places. And maybe it's in accumulating wealth, or seeking power, or maybe control over people. Maybe it's in climbing the corporate ladder, or maybe the highest mountain. Or maybe the drive is having prestige, or knowing famous people, or having academic success. Well, we all know that this, if this is the ultimate goal of one's life, these roads will not lead to contentment, right? We know that. Why? Because we live in a fallen, sinful world that is full of problems. And maybe, guys, this was the feudal race that we all ran before Christ miraculously and graciously saved us. We know there are many verses in the Bible, as you know, that speak to the subject of contentment. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul was well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Hebrews 13, 5 says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. So how can a true believer of Jesus Christ be content? Well, if you, I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. Let's go ahead and read those verses. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. In verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. 
Verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And just a little background of the Epistle of Philippians. You probably know this already, but the Epistle of Philippians was written in AD 61 by the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this epistle when he was where? He was in a, a Roman prison, right? In fact, the book of Philippians is considered one of the four prison epistles Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon being the other three. The theme of Philippians is joy or rejoice. In fact, rejoice is mentioned eight times in the book of Philippians. So is Paul sending us a message this morning? Absolutely. That as believers, we are to rejoice and be satisfied no matter what your circumstances in life are today. Like Paul did, right? For instance, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, when fellow pastors wanted to bring distress and cause Paul harm while he was in prison, Paul rejoiced two times. Well, how did the church in Philippi begin? Well, during Paul's second missionary journey, he met some godly women as he, as near the Gagit River, and one of the women was named Lydia. And Lydia, as you know, was very wealthy because she sold expensive purple dye, as Acts 16, verse 14 tells us. Well, Lydia heard the gospel. God turned a light on in her heart, and she became a believer of Jesus Christ. And Paul's very first church plant in Europe began, guess where? In Lydia's home. Can you imagine that? I mean, what an honor, what a privilege, right, for Lydia to have one of Paul's first church plants in Europe in her home. That's amazing. Well, in the book of Philippians, as you'll know, there are some great theological doctrines about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Like Mario said, we preach Christ here. We preach about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. For instance, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, we see Christ humbling himself when he voluntarily set aside the use of his attributes. Then we see Christ became the God-man, or our theologians call this the hypostatic union, where he was 100% God and he was 100% man, right? And we celebrated that yesterday, right? When we talked about and celebrated the birth of Christ. We see Christ crucified on the cross for our sins, being buried and resurrected. And then we see Christ being exalted, sitting at the right hand of God the Father and given the name Lord. He is Lord, right? We don't make him Lord. He is truly Lord of our lives. He is the Lord of all things. Well, in addition to those great theological doctrines, Philippians contains many practical doctrines on how we should live the Christian life. For example, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, Paul says, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul encouraged believers to run the Christian race by being Christ-like, which means behaving and thinking like Jesus Christ. Well, another practical doctrine is how believers can live with contentment, even though they might not like the circumstances God currently has them in right now. 
And we all know that Paul lived with contentment, right, during his intense trials, when he had a little, when he had a lot, as we'll see in a few moments. But how did Paul do it? How did Paul live with contentment? And how can we as believers live with contentment also? Well, if you have your outlines, you'll see five examples from Paul showing us how to live with contentment so that we can glorify God. Five examples from Paul showing us how to live with contentment so that we can glorify God. Well, the first example from Paul showing us how to live with contentment so that we can glorify God is when Paul, point number one, rejoiced in God's providence. Paul rejoiced in God's providence. Look at verse 10. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. After Paul left Philippi, the Philippians supported him as he ministered in Thessalonica and Berea, which were cities in the region of Macedonia, as we see in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 13. And then when Paul moved on to the cities of Athens and Corinth, located in Acacia in Acts 17, 14 to 18, 18, the Philippians continued to support the apostle Paul. That's amazing, right? When you think about it, the Philippians were exercising what Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, right? So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who, what, are of the household of faith. However, something happened. Something happened. Ten long years passed by since the Philippians last supported the apostle Paul. And how do we know that it was 10 years? Well, some commentators looking at the events that took place, as we just heard in Acts chapter 17, verse 1, all the way to Acts 18, 18, seem to agree that 10 years, some say 12 years, passed since Paul was last supported by the Philippian church. Now, for the Philippians, these were very difficult circumstances because they loved and they cared for Paul, and they truly wanted to support him. In fact, in fact, Paul understood that. He understood their love for him and not wanting to put a guilt trip on them. Look what he says at the end of verse 10. He says, but you lacked opportunity. You lacked the opportunity for some reason on why you couldn't support me again. Well, what was the reason? Why couldn't the Philippians support the apostle Paul again? Well, if you look at our text this morning, in fact, if you look through the entire book of Philippians, we will not find an explanation why. But maybe some thoughts, some thoughts on why they couldn't support the Apostle Paul. See, there was extreme poverty in the area because of all the wars. Or maybe because the Romans looted the region where the church of Philippi was located. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 2. Or maybe they didn't know Paul's needs. Or maybe they didn't know where Paul was located. You know, they didn't have GPS system back then, right? Or even a Live 360 app, right, that we all kind of use, right, to track our kids, right? Let's be, be honest, we do that. Or even find out where our spouse is. We use that app for that. Or we even find out if our spouse, how hard our spouse is pushing down on the brakes. I heard that in staff meeting, believe it or not. So anyway, it measures all that, I guess. But, but Paul knew that the Philippians truly loved him. And he knew they truly wanted to support him. But a critical point here. Paul also knew that it was all part of God's sovereign will and providence to all of a sudden stop his financial support from the Philippians just like that. He knew that. He trusted in God and his providence. You know, guys, we've all experienced a variety of surprising situations, right, in our lives, right? 
Like some, sometimes out of nowhere, God suddenly brings problems or something that's without human explanation or answers that just turns our world upside down. Especially over these past couple of years, right? I mean, with the whole COVID virus, everything going on, right? I mean, critical planning and split-second decisions regarding our health, right, have to be made. Or maybe situa- situations like this. I've listed some, maybe the loss of a job or a business. Maybe you experienced something like maybe failing a test. Maybe not being promoted, or maybe you were demoted. Maybe a serious illness, marital crisis, cancer, dementia, death of a loved one. We lost, I lost my dad about three months ago to, to COVID. He was 94 years old. He's recovering from that, and it seemed like he was doing well, but all of a sudden he, he had passed away. And then in the midst of us planning for his funeral, our family, as you know, contracted COVID also. So we're like, what's going on, God? What are you doing? Right? Sometimes we just don't understand you know, what is happening. But financial struggles, major surgery, car accidents, I mean, the list goes on and on. Or maybe you're wondering what God has planned next for your life. You know, as you're thinking through that, sometimes it kind of drives us crazy, right? Am I in God's will? Am I not in God's will? My God, what do you want me to do? Or maybe, lastly on this list, maybe having a teenager or an adult child who has completely walked away from the Lord and has denied the faith. Devastating, right? Overwhelming. Or maybe on the flip side of the coin, God has blessed you abundantly, but you still aren't happy and you want more. Well, guys, only five days left in the year 2020. And 2022 is just around a corner. So how do we prepare ourselves to be content? How do we live with contentment to glorify God? And more important, what should your perspective be? Well, and I believe that plays a critical role. Understanding God's providence in your life plays a critical role in having the right perspective on what's happening in your life. You know, a miracle is God's intervention into our natural world, right? But God's providence is him supernaturally directing events, words, decisions, which all come together exactly the way he planned it to fulfill his divine purpose in your life. So no matter what is happening in our world, our country, or in your life today, remember God is sovereign and that his plan is still working in your life, right? Trust God for that. In fact, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord, what? Directs his steps. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is still working behind the scenes in your life. And always remember, guys, again, and I have to remember this too, I have to remind myself also that God is in complete control. Amen? He is in complete control of what's happening in this world. Well, how did Paul find out that God gave the Philippians the opportunity to support him again? Well, look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. Look what he says. He says, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, which you have sent, a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So finally, after 10 years... Ten years, Epaphroditus brought a gift to Paul from the Philippians. But it was ten long years. So what did Paul do when he saw that the Philippians could support him again? Look what he says in verse 10. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. 
And notice that Paul was still rejoicing in the Lord, right? Even though he was living in a Roman prison right next to Caesar's palace under very horrible, horrible conditions. Paul's prison cell was cold. It was dark and and very dirty. You know, the prison systems today, you know, in our world is significantly different than the prison system in Paul's day. You know, today our systems provide food and clothing, right, for those who are there. But prisoners back then had to depend on friends and family members to feed them or they would not be able to eat. So thank God that Paul had friends and churches to support him, right, and his physical needs. Well, not only did Paul have to live in those tough conditions, but Paul was chained to some of Caesar's Praetorian guards, And there are at least 10,000 of these Praetorian guards, right? 10,000, can you imagine, in that area. Some of those guards were dispersed around the city of Rome in order to keep peace. And some of them were Caesar's hand-picked personal bodyguards. Well, if you can imagine, Paul was chained to a a different, not-so-charming prison guard for every four hours for a period of two years. Every four hours for a period of two years. So the question is, that's always asked, who was really the prisoner, right? Was it Paul or was it the prison guard? And I'm sure these prison guards kept looking at their Apple watches, right? And they didn't have Apple watches back then, guys. Just want to let you know, that's probably the extent of my technology knowledge or whatever. But they, they couldn't wait to get away from Paul. Can you imagine? Every four hours. I wonder what the Apostle Paul was telling the prison guard. Can you imagine? That Jesus Christ died on the cross For your sins, he was buried and he rose again for four straight hours. Could you imagine that? For four straight hours. And because I believe that Paul was a Roman citizen, there's no way they could hit him or shut him up. So he continued to give the gospel to these prison guards. You talk about a captive audience, right? A captive. Where's Pastor Mel? Can you imagine Pastor Mel preaching for four hours here at Cornerstone, right? That would be a pastor's dream, I'm sure. But God's providence, guys, is so amazing. In fact, look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. Look what Paul says. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So you can imagine, after the prison guard shift was over, they went back to the Caesar's palace. And they kept telling people, can you imagine what the apostle Paul is saying? Something like, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and he rose again. Can you imagine? Here, these prison guards are spreading the gospel through all of Caesar's palace. And many of them became saved. Isn't it amazing? God's providence is so amazing. So you never know why God has you where you are. Maybe it is truly to preach the gospel. And just because Christmas is over, we need to keep evangelizing and telling people about our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? We must do that. Although Paul was in prison, he truly had the right perspective, didn't he? Well, how many of us this morning would rejoice in the Lord if we were locked up in a cold, dark, and dirty prison cell? But Paul rejoiced in the Lord because he knew God's providence was working behind the scenes, directing every step, not only for him, but also for the Philippians. That's why if you look at verse 10, Paul says, Now at last you have revived your concern for me. This phrase speaks about the beginning point and God's providence that allowed the Philippians the opportunity to support Paul again. You know, the term revive is a guarding term that describes something that was dormant but comes back to life again. 
It's like red roses that start to bloom, right, after being inactive during the winter. Same thing. So after 10 years, the Philippian support for Paul started to, if I can say this, blossom again. We, even though the Philippians could not support Paul during those past 10 years, we know that they faithfully prayed for him, right? In fact, Philippians chapter 1, 9, verse 19 says, For I know that this, being in prison, will turn out for my deliverance, Paul says, through your prayers. They faithfully prayed for Paul, even though they couldn't support him. You know, great application for us, and I know that many of you here at Cornerstone are doing an excellent job of loving and caring and supporting those here at Cornerstone through the Agape Fund, but not only those attending here at Cornerstone, but even our missionaries, praying and supporting them, right, as we saw last week, right, through the gifts of Jesus, where many of you came and put an offering in for our missionaries. Praise the Lord. You guys are amazing. Keep on doing that. Well, does learning to be content in your life happen overnight? No, in God's providence, he still has us all enrolled in the school of contentment, which brings us to the second example from Paul showing us how to live with contentment so that we can glorify God. Second point is God, uh, excuse me, Paul knew that his trials helped to produce contentment. Paul knew that his trials helped to produce contentment. Look at verse 11. Paul says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now, as Paul mentions the phrase, not that I speak from want, he wanted to clear up any, any misunderstanding by what he meant previously in verse 10. Remember when he says, now at last you've revived your support for me. I mean, it kind of makes you think that Paul was being selfish, right? Why aren't you supporting me? But no, Paul wanted to make sure he cleared that up. So in verse 11, Paul reveals that he wasn't being selfish about desiring support from the Philippians. In fact, Paul further explains, and he says, For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. You know, the phrase to be content means being sufficient or satisfied. You have become independent of any external desires in your heart and are completely satisfied with one's basic needs. Being content or satisfied is an internal attitude where you are at peace with God's will for your life and are completely satisfied without needing any additional worldly things in your lives. So the question for us this morning for myself is, are you at peace with God's will for your life? Are you at peace? Ask yourself, are you at peace this morning with God's will for your life? No, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 8 says, But godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by what? By contentment. Meaning having just the basic needs of life really should bring joy to our hearts, and we should be happy with them. You know, Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs said this about contentment. He said, Christian contentment is that slow, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. That's a great quote, isn't it, when you think about it? And that's so true regarding contentment and being satisfied with God's will for your life. And notice also what Paul said. Notice that Paul said, I have learned. He said, I have learned, in verse 11, to be content. Interesting. Have learned is an interesting verb that speaks of Paul being in a discipleship relationship as one who was still learning to be content. And that's amazing, right? 
and very encouraging to us when we think about it, right? Why? Because Paul was approaching the end of his life as a mature believer in Christ when he wrote this letter. And after all the difficult trials and hardships, he admits to us and every believer for generations to come that being content doesn't come easy. It's something that is learned, something that we must still learn. I mean, what a humble, honest, right, and transparent man of God Paul truly was. So Paul was in a personal relationship with the trials or his schoolmaster, if I can say that, which God brought into his life to produce satisfaction or contentment. You know, as you read through Paul's epistles and about all the trials that Paul went through, he never panicked. Never panicked, never manipulated people or his circumstances because he knew that every aspect of his life was controlled by a sovereign God. So what does that mean for us? Well, it doesn't matter how long we've been saved, right? God in his sovereignty will continue to bring trials into our lives to teach us how to be content. And through all these experiences, Paul learned and knew that God would provide for all his needs. In fact, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, look what he says. He says, my God will, not might, but will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. And Paul can say that because he went through the experiences and he saw God provide for his needs. So he's telling us that God will provide for your need according to his riches and glory. And again, we should have that same boldness that God will supply our needs. Did you ever try to control events or circumstances in your life? Did you ever try to manipulate and control those? Don't do it. My advice, don't try to do it, right? It only make you frustrated. But trust in God's sovereign providence for your life. So in verse 12, Paul reveals to us a type of trials that God brought into his life to help produce contentment in him. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Paul was speaking about not having the daily necessities of life, like food, clothing, or money, or even having days of prosperity. God would bring those type of situations into his life. Paul could live, no matter what situation, again, God brought his life, Paul could live. And that's how we should live, right? We should aim for that. And no matter what God brings into my life, we should be able to live in that circumstance. You know, I think this is important for us believers today because normally it's the difficult circumstances of life that invades the peace and the joy, right, that we have in Christ. Right? Oh, another trial just came. Oh, no. And then all of a sudden, we're, you know, we're shaken up. No, no we, should, we should trust in God's sovereignty, right? Because, again, those circumstances have a desire to take away your peace and your joy and for you to be satisfied in what God has for you. Well, Paul continues in verse 12, and he says, In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Very interesting, this word learned. It's in a perfect tense, passive voice, which is used by Paul to say that God had brought trials into his life that continued to provide constant and complete contentment. Constant and complete contentment. That's what God is doing with us as he brings the trials. He's forming in you contentment in your life. I think something that we almost remember as we go through the difficult trials in life that are hard to understand, which sometimes right, can bring tears to our eyes, 
is that whenever God, who loves us so much, brings a difficult, even a prosperous situation into our life, you know, God is not interested in changing your circumstances or even pulling you out of the trial. God is not going to do that. But God loves you, and he's interested in transforming and perfecting you to become more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? What a God that we serve. In fact, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it or make you complete in Christ until the day of Christ Jesus Peter says in 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered for a while, the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Well, God brought many trials into Paul's life to teach him. Well, what was Paul's secret to being content as he experienced the trials? Well, this leads us to the third example from Paul, showing us how to live with contentment so that we can glorify God is when Paul depended upon Christ's strength. Paul depended upon Christ's strength. Look at verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. A very well-known and famous verse, right? And sometimes, if I could admit, taken out of context, right? Well, we'll talk about that in a few moments. But Paul says, I can do all things, not some things, but all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, the phrase I can do means to be strong. Paul, with confidence, knew that he had this internal power to do something. The phrase all things immediately refers back to Paul's difficult circumstances, right, that we saw in verse 12, all the trials that he went through, the things that he had, things he didn't have, right? And the phrase through him is speaking about Jesus Christ. Well, Paul did not rely on his power or his ingenuity, right, or any external material things to bring fulfillment in his life, but he relied on the person and sufficiency of Jesus Christ as his main power source, and so should we. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. We shouldn't, right, because there's nothing that really comes from us. We don't have the power to help us go through trials. But he says our adequacy is in who? Is in God or is in Christ. Now the word adequate means that Jesus Christ is totally sufficient, totally sufficient to do all things. So as we go through trials, we must remember that Christ's power, right, and his strength is totally sufficient and adequate to bring us through any trial that God brings into our lives. You know, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? He is the great I am, right, who with his power, remember, he, he calmed the stormy sea. He cast out the legion of demons. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And it was Christ's power and strength that dwelled in Paul that allowed him to be content in all things. Do the word strengthen there in verse 13. It's from the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite, right? And it's in the present tense which speaks about God has the unmatched ability and power to continue to strengthen you during trials. Unmatched ability to strengthen you as you go through trials. So in order for us to be content in our trials like Paul, we must rely on the sufficiency and unlimited power 
of Christ that dwells inside of us. Every believer has the power of Christ and dwelling in him. Why? Because Christ lives in us, right? God lives in us. Remember when Paul asked God to remove the painful thorn that hindered his ministry? Remember what God said in 2 Corinthians verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 9, Paul says, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power or power is perfected in your weakness. Whenever you are weak as you live your Christian life, you have God's power to encourage you, to strengthen you, to make it through that trial. Well, God would supply Paul with power and grace to endure the trial. And I was thinking about this, you know, as an unbeliever, unbelievers will never find God's grace to endure difficult circumstances of life because he doesn't have Christ's power and dwelling in them, okay? They're gonna, they would rely, they're going to rely on their own ingenuity, their own intelligence to try to make it through the trial. But as believers, we have, as Galatians 2.20 says, Christ living in us, living in and through us, right? The Christ strength was infused into Paul to help him be content and overcome whatever circumstances he faced because Christ, again, lived in through Paul. So how did Paul get through, get Christ's strength that dwelt in him to be activated, which would help him to be content during trials? Just look at a couple of verses before our text this morning. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. This is how Paul allowed Christ's strength to be activated in him. Look at verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. But be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? By prayer and prayer, supplication, prayer, and supplication is prayer. But thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, they say that prayer is the greatest weapon, or one of the greatest weapons that a believer has, right? And unfortunately, we don't take advantage of it, do we? We don't pray as enough. I don't pray as much as I should, especially in the midst of trials. But Paul rejoiced and prayed because he knew that God and his strength was and God was right by him. He knew that his strength was in him, and he could activate that strength through prayer. But you know, it's, it's so interesting when you look at the text here that Paul, before he speaks to us about contentment, he spoke to the believers in Philippi about prayer. Prayer comes before relying right on God's asking for God's strength. We need to pray and ask God for his strength to make it through the tough times, right? You know, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, you will find verses of Jesus praying to God the Father for strength before he engaged in any major event. It's so interesting. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus prayed all night before he selected his 12 disciples. And yes, I know Judas Iscariot, by the way, he's always listed last in the list of apostles, right? But but Judas Iscariot being called one of the apostles back then was part of God's providence also, right? And his plan for Christ will eventually go to the cross. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus prayed for God's strength before he was tempted by Satan. So whenever you're going through a difficult trial, you feel weak, weary, pray to God. And ask God to give, him, give you or infuse you with Christ's strength to help you make it through the trial. In fact, John MacArthur says what he, Paul, is saying is that when he reached the limit of his resources and strength... 
Even to the point of death, he was infused with the strength of Christ. God's power that indwells believers is far more than sufficient to strengthen and sustain them in any trial. But he says it's important to know that only those believers who live lives of obedience to God's will can count on his power to sustain them. Those who continued sins has led them into the pit of despair cannot expect God to bring them contentment from their circumstances. In fact, he may even add to their difficulties to chasten them and bring them to repentance. So the question is, are you satisfied again with the situation God has you in this morning? Or maybe you're living, like me at times, living in sin and God's power doesn't seem to be helping you in your trials. Our God is a loving and a forgiving God and is ready right now to forgive you of your sins, especially in the area of discontentment. In fact, Psalm 86 verse 5 says, For you, the psalmist says, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. God is ready. He's waiting to forgive you. And abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon you. Isn't that great? God is ready to forgive you of your sins. Or maybe you're not a believer this morning of Jesus Christ. Well, God is ready to forgive you of your sins. If you would believe in Jesus Christ that he died on a cross for your sins, was buried, and he rose again, and he truly is the Son of God. And you can do that right now. You can believe in Jesus Christ right now where you are sitting. When Paul said that I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me, you know, Paul wasn't talking about Christ's power to physically survive without food, water, or conquer anything physically on this, on this earth. You know, many believers take this verse out of context and as a result incorrectly say I can climb Mount Everest, right, or swim from the Atlantic, from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean in one day or things like that, right, because of Christ who, who lives in me. That's not what he's saying. Or maybe some believers may say, and, and maybe may dating some of you here, I'm dating myself, to use an old Superman show introduction, through Christ, I can run faster than a speeding bullet, right? Be more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel with my bare hands, all because of Christ, right? No, that's not what Paul is saying here in this verse. Paul was speaking about relying on Christ's power to help him be content during his trials. Well, this brings us to the fourth, fourth example from Paul showing us how to live with contentment so that we can glorify God. Number four, Paul commended the Philippians for embracing his trials. Paul commended the Philippians for embracing his trials. Look what he says in verse 14. Paul says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul was thankful for the Philippians and their sacrificial support to, uh, to, for him, right, when, he, when, he brought, when Epaphroditus brought the gift to him. And to make sure he appreciated them, and it's so great to make sure we're always appreciating people when they do things for us. So important to appreciate them, and, and especially God. Make sure we always give God, thank God, and our, gratitude, our gratitude goes to God. But look what Paul says. He says, you have done well. You know, the verb done well means speaking or something noble or beautiful in character. But what was it that the Philippians did for Paul that was, that was noble and beautiful in character? Well, Paul says, to share with me in my affliction. You know, the word to share or to partner is from the Greek word koinonia, which we all know. 
means to participate in something with someone, to share together or to be fellow partakers with someone. In fact, Paul thanked them for their participation of the gospel in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, when he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. They prayed with Paul. Paul's speaking about a co-intimacy you have with another person, engaging with them in their struggles. And I hear it all the time around Cornerstone. I hear it in staff meeting. I hear it all the time how you guys come along, others, to encourage them in their struggles. And you pray with them. And you support them. Again, continue to do that here at Cornerstone. But people who are content guys are those who are unselfish. When you think about it, people who are content are those who are unselfish and put the needs of others before their own. That's true, right? In contrast, people who are selfish only think about themselves, right? And will never find true satisfaction. Why? Because we live in a sinful world. That will never happen. We know some of the greatest examples in the Bible of those thinking about the interests of others and putting other people for themselves. You know, as I'll mention some of these verses, you know them. John 3, 16, right? We, we know that. In the verse, for God so loved the world, that what he gave his only begotten son, God thinking about us, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrate his own love, agape love towards us, right? Selfless love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ, what Christ, he died for us. God thought about us sinners and sacrificed his son on our behalf so that we could have eternal life. But here's an amazing account in the Gospels regarding contentment, regarding our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Matthew chapter 26, verses 39 to 42, in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember when Jesus was praying to God the Father? He prayed twice that the cup of God's wrath to be poured in on him while he was on the cross, right, to pay for our sins would be taken away. Remember, he prayed twice for that. But Jesus, wanting to glorify God the Father, was in total peace with God the Father's will, and he was satisfied. Total commitment on Christ's part. You know, I mentioned earlier that people who are content are those who are unselfish and put the needs of others and their desires before their own, right? Well, let me show you another example of contentment from Jesus Christ during his crucifixion. Turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 25. We'll actually look at verses 25 to 30, but John chapter 19, verse 25. And again, our Lord was on the cross. Verse 25 says, Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophus and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his household. Now, isn't that amazing that while Jesus was suffering and pain, right, tremendous pain while on the cross, being crucified for our sins, who was he thinking of? He was only, only thinking about us, but he was thinking about his earthly mother, Mary. And also the disciple whom he loved, John the Apostle. And maybe this morning you're an unbeliever and you're asked, you ask this question, well, did Jesus think about me also? 
Look at verse 28. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scriptures, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Verse 30 says, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Yes, if you are an unbeliever here this morning, yes, Jesus thought about you too. He was crucified on the cross. Right? He died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again to pay for your sins. And again, if you would place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believe that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and rose again, and he is the Son of God, you too can have eternal life. Again, while on the cross, Jesus thought about your redemption, and he died so to offer you salvation. Do that this morning if you're not saved. So we see Jesus put sinful people before himself, again, dying on the cross. And as we go back to Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 15. Paul says, you yourself also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church share with me in a matter of giving and receiving but you alone. So Paul goes back 10 years right, when he first preached the gospel to them in Philippi. Then after Paul left Macedonia to travel to the city, cities of Athens and Corinth, no church shared or partnered with him in the areas of both giving and receiving. In verse 16, Paul says, Even at Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once to meet our needs. So Paul, after he left Macedonia, the Philippians supported him again. And while he was in Thessalonica, the Philippians sent a gift to him more than once, he says there in that verse, to meet his needs. Well, why did Paul rejoice in the Lord, as we saw back in verse 10? And he wanted the Philippians to support him again. Again, was he being selfish? Did Paul want that money? Did he want the, the finances? You know, like we heard earlier, only those who unselfishly put others' well-being above their own will find true contentment. Which leads us to the fifth and last example of Paul showing us how to live with contentment so that we can glorify God is when Paul desired that the Philippians would profit. Paul desired that the Philippians would profit. Look at verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. So finally, we find out the reason why Paul rejoiced in the Lord's providence when the Philippians could finally support him again. Instead of thinking of his own problems in life, being jailed, right, in that cold prison cell, not having water, right, or food, we see again... Paul's contentment came by thinking about the needs of others. Paul here in verse 17 was speaking in financial terms, desired that the Philippians would profit and keep accruing dividends into their heavenly bank account. Now, the word seek there is from the Greek word zeteo, and it means to seek after. But when you add the prefix epi, when it's added to that verb, that intensifies the verb to show how greatly Paul sought for the Philippians to increase their heavenly profit. Isn't it amazing when you think about it? You know, as you seek the benefit or profit of others, again, it will bring contentment in your life because you're not thinking about yourself, but you're thinking about others. And that's not the way the world thinks, right? The world is dog eat dog. Think, get your own. Get, your, get what you can get, right? Get all the gusto. Right? You know, I don't want to say that, but anyway, right? The world thinks that way. Well, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, 
It says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven. And that's what the Philippians were doing. So the Philippians, as they supported Paul, they were investing in their heavenly treasures, and that's exactly what Paul wanted. He wanted their profit in heaven to increase. Isn't that great when you think about that? Wow, what a selfless man of God. So this is why Paul rejoiced in the Lord in verse 10, because the Philippians renewed support for him, as, and they re- reaped spiritual heavenly rewards, right? Well, just like Jesus took care of his earthly mother, Mary, and Apostle John, and thought about us and gave us a way to have eternal life, Paul showed contentment by having a desire for the Philippians to reap heavenly rewards for caring and supporting him financially. You know, and it's all about, when we think about it, guys, it's really all about 1 Corinthians 10.31 also, isn't it? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all what? For the glory of God. That's right. Well, five examples from Paul showing us how to live with contentment so that we can glorify God is when Paul rejoiced in God's providence toward the Philippians. Secondly, Paul knew that his trials helped to produce contentment. Paul knew that his strength came from Christ. Paul commended the Philippians for embracing his trials, and Paul desired that the Philippians would profit. So remember, whenever God brings trials, which produces contentment, right, rely on the all-sufficient Christ and his power, which will transform you to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. And thank you, Father, for the lesson to all of us about contentment. And, Father, as we saw the examples from the Lord Jesus Christ and how, Father, he thought about us and died on the cross for our sins, and we see the example from the Apostle Paul and how he thought about the Philippian believers in order to increase their spiritual bank account, Father, I just pray that as, as believers we will have that same desire, that we will think about others so that others would profit, Father, and others would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And help us, Father, uh, now, Father, to continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and pray, Father, that if there's an unbeliever here this morning, if they don't know Christ, that they will place their faith in Jesus Christ, believe that he died on the cross for their sins, he was buried, and he rose again, and he truly is the Son of God. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. You are a great God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>